Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. It is December 13th, market once again close to all-time highs, SPY at 366.30 per Friday's close. Uh, I guess we have more talking to do about the extreme greed popping up in the market. But first, Sean, how you doing, buddy? Another week of news, noise, and uh, numbers. So can't wait to talk about what's going on. Got a lot of hot takes here. Looking forward to dropping them. Me too. I, I used to have a friend who was very fond of saying that he could just look at a Bloomberg terminal and determine what was going on in the world. Don't think that's true, especially for 2020. What's your take on that? I think that the only way to know what's true and objective is to look at the price of something, whether it's uh, betting lines or stock prices. Now, what, what your definition of objective truth may be uh, could vary, but as far as what you should trust, price is, is king there. I like a little philosophy on objective truth to start the show. Uh, very welcome. That said, you know, we're, we're close to another all-time high. Um, the week was kind of up and down. It started off pretty strong, but there's a little bit of selling. Um, I mean, where are we right now? I mean, I, I've heard some people talking about this melt-off. Uh, some people call it a blow-off top. I've heard people talking about a correction. Uh, how are you feeling right now? Well, in, in a word, we are high. That's, that's probably the most succinct way to put it. But to rewind to our last show, uh, my, my gut feel and what the indicators seem to be pointing to is sort of a more immediate move down. So since then, we saw new all-time highs in SPY, uh, NASDAQ, and small caps uh, midweek, but then closed out the week with a bit of selling. So you know, that was the down move I had been looking for. Uh, or sort of expecting to set up the the next real move higher, and um, I think there was sort of a lot to 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 pull from that price action, especially at the end of the week. Uh, the first one being so we closed the week at 366 and had a week low uh, just above 363. What's interesting to me though is that there's a a daily gap on the spy. Uh, chart there. And usually when there's a gap between two daily candles, meaning that uh, one day's range or trading range uh, is completely outside of the previous day. So if you look at the chart, there's there's just a gap between the two candles, assuming you're looking at candles instead of a line. Well, those gaps generally get filled um, usually sooner rather than later, but uh, eventually at some point they do. So at least in my head, that seemed like a, a reasonable um, checkpoint for a, a sell-off to really reverse course. Uh, but we didn't really get there and we saw quite the stick save at the end of the day Friday. So um, a couple things really, really stood out to me um, really hitting the tape Friday. So the first, um, that, that stick save at the end of the day really reversed what appeared to be the strongest sort of push by uh, the bears and sellers that we've seen in some time, especially um, post uh, the, the recent vaccine pumps 
um, which pushed us to new all-time highs. But even with uh, sort of the stage being set, we talked last time about indicators like the fear and greed index being quite high. Uh, we see a very low put-call ratio and just across the board, um, very, very bullish uh, sentiment, um, retail piling in, and then uh, a lot to indicate that smart money had been doing a significant amount of selling. Well, with all of that sort of in place and uh, most of the index, is running pretty hot with a uh, fairly high RSI and sitting pretty high in, in some of their uh, relative Bollinger bands or some of those um, valuated averages. Uh, the best they could do was not even 2% off of the recent all-time highs. So there is definitely a lot of uh, upward and bullish energy left in this rally. So um, we have heard the term blow off top thrown around in you know, the way I'm looking at this week ahead is this, what we're about to see is the, the real swan song here, the real blow off top um, to, to cap off this rally. And there's a number of conditions that seem sort of right for, for this to happen. Um, and one of the things that stood out to me, uh, the dark pool index, um, seem to talk about that on every show now, um, sort of tipped off a, a potential sell with a low print uh, last week. And then ended the week with almost an off-the-chart high uh, reading of 47.3, up from 43.1%. Uh, those numbers themselves mean basically nothing, but this is the highest reading that we've had since August 6, which was right at the beginning of that August melt-up where uh, mega-cap tech and uh, the NASDAQ just went basically parabolic. Um, so that basically signals that there is a significant amount of buying going on under the hood in the dark pools. Uh, so I think that that the sharks out there have sort of smelt bear blood and that there really isn't enough conviction there, um, not just on the part of the bears, but uh, w with the rest of the longs, there's absolutely no fear or panic to be found right now. So th the likelihood that we start seeing any actual selling or a panic sell cascade, uh, at least at these prices, seems minimal to none. Um, so with that signal on Friday, that basically just gave uh, the green light for uh, money to continue sort of piling in here since you've got no real alternative in town for for what to do with your money. Now, it looked like the dollar was about to make a bounce and closed the week just below $91. Um, but th that rally does look to be short-lived um, considering sort of the time of year here, traditionally a Santa rally and sort of the what appears to be inevitable uh, real major support for, for the dollar at about um, 88 um, handle on the, the DXY. So I think the conditions are right here to get basically long as you possibly can. Obviously not buying stocks, but being a trader here, a great opportunity to get some exposure in all of your, your favorite names. Because when you've got this condition, obviously everyone sees that we're in a bubble. Uh, and there's a significant amount of, of bearishness there just saying, you know, we're so overextended, everything is so overpriced. We've got the appropriate wall of worry for this rally to climb. So even if there isn't buying at these levels, aside from sort of the uh, passive funds and algorithmic traders out there, um, there isn't really, you know, again, any, any selling to be found there. So with, with, 
pretty much low volume on either side. Um, th this is the, the opportunity for shorts to continue get get squeezed out of their positions, trying to front run um, this drop, and plenty of opportunity for uh, a lot of more or a lot of people to pile in. So. Um, to, to use a quote that I'm probably butchering and may even be apocryphal, I believe George Soros once said uh, something to the effect of when, when I see a bubble, uh, I run into buy. So this is definitely an opportunity to uh, potentially capture on the, the biggest upside move of this rally um, comparable to what we've seen post-election. But um, in the near term, I'm pretty much as bold up as I could possibly be. But obviously, you know, trying to not get flat footed and, and watching the downside. but you know, looking for that ridiculous move that makes absolutely no sense. But um, when price is king here and it's about to move significantly, uh, I definitely want to be riding that wave. Yeah, let's try to provide the business fundamental view. If, if there's a good cop, bad cop, I feel like our podcast is trader cop, uh, business fundamental cop, and I'm, I'm playing the latter. So I, I think there's a lot of discussion on the Twitter sphere and, and among people I talk to about whether we're in a bubble right now. Um, and I, I think the consensus view, which I agree with, is, is that there are certainly some assets in the market, looking at you, Tesla, looking at you, Bitcoin, looking at you, a bunch of mid to small cap SaaS stocks. Um, that seems to have been really extended. I'll also throw SPACs and kind of the entire EV space in there as well. Um, anybody could cherry pick, you know, 10 to 20 names that you, there's just no way to defend the valuation. That said, like, if you look at some of the mega cap tech um, and also some of the stuff that's really been crushed by COVID, you definitely could make a case that the valuation is in that stretch. I mean, I've heard with Fang, a number of people say if you look at Google, Facebook, or Apple, you're looking at anywhere from 25 to 35 times free cash flow, which really isn't that terrible in a historical context. So whether we're in a bubble or not, who knows? But I mean, in some respects, I've also heard this opinion, it may not even matter because let's say Tesla really, really gets hit and you see like a 40% drawdown, again, with you know, the birth of path, passive investing, you're going to probably see SPY get hit and maybe that extends into other assets and maybe there's indiscriminate selling across the book, in which case it's probably a buying opportunity for some stocks. Um, I don't really know if the important question to be asking is like, are we in a bubble or if we are, like are we in the third to fifth to seventh inning? Who knows? I think trying to time the market is difficult. I think for me, the important question is like, are there businesses you want to buy at current prices right now. And I've actually been finding that more and more difficult. As I mentioned on last podcast, it seems like we're seeing like indiscriminate um, moves up. You know, it doesn't even matter the sector. Um, I, I've talked on this pod before about like, you know, some kind of less love stocks, whether it's Chef's Warehouse, whether it's the energy sector. Um, AutoZone has kind of been the apple of my eye recently. Um, all of them kind of been moving upwards. I mean, I think AutoZone still trades at pretty nice relative to free cash flow. Um, but like, I have a ton of things on my watch list, but I'm kind of waiting for a drawdown to to get in. And when that's going to be, I don't know. But I think if you're buy and hold, you, you basically just have to be patient right now. Um, it's just a little frustrating. Um, I'm interested on your thoughts. Do you think that question of, are we in a bubble or are we in kind of a, a tiered, you know, some assets are in a bubble and some are fairly priced. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And like, is that even an important question to be asking? Well, to answer the question, are we in a bubble? I think the answer is absolutely and quite obviously. And if you just look no further than, you know, the, the multiples across some of these indexes and what we're trading at, um, you, you being the fundamental guy might have a better sense of what's reasonable. But um, compared to, to, to revenues, we're, we're definitely extended. And 
I guess the question for me isn't so much about, you know, are we in a bubble or not, but what would it take to really pop this bubble? And the, the potential catalyst that we've seen come and go, and we can get into this a little bit later talking about the, the news, you know, we saw a number of uh, direct economic indicators as well as um, different sort of hallmarks of um, bubble type markets, very frothy sort of IPO situation. Um, obviously, Tesla's price and insane uh, PDE relative to, you know, what the company's real profit prospects are, are, are quite obvious. Um, but I guess what stands out to me is that when, when you sort of look at some you know, previous bubbles uh, and look no further than the dot-com uh, bubble, you know, again, the most violent moves really come at the end. So it's, it's unpredictable. Am I, again, trying to buy right now what sectors you're looking for? I mean, uh, the cyclicals will continue to be a good opportunity to, to buy now. I think there's a bullish case to be made um, in energy and mining in different sections. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that there's a, a reason that you should be looking away from these growth stocks that we've you know, spent a lot of time talking about and have uh, really blown up Wall Street bets and are on the, the radar of every sort of retail trader. Um, just because really, you know, we're not trading on fundamentals right now as much as just sort of the human psychology that comes along with a speculative bubble like this. Uh, and how capital sort of piles in uh, and will seem to accumulate um, in terms of volume as the price gets higher. Um, so there, there's no reason to say that fundamentals aren't important and that they won't be important in the future. Um, but really trading on that or trying to determine if this is an appropriate entry point based on that, uh, sort of discounting the, the nature of this particular market, the, the fact that the most dominant uh, market forces continue to be uh, central bank um, fiscal and monetary policy, uh, which does not appear to be changing anytime soon. So um, since we haven't really seen any of the major catalysts that we've talked about and anticipated um, really change the paradigm, uh, I think looking beyond, you know, just a continued trend and, you know, more money piling into the same ridiculous names that are already overpriced and expensive, um, will sort of be, again, overlooking the next couple of weeks to, to several months of this market. Um, even with a new vaccine, um, I don't know that we, we return to a more sort of uh, familiar market dynamic to what people are, are maybe more used to uh, versus this post-COVID sort of accelerated cycle that we've entered into. Um, so this could change within a week. Um, but I think a, a move to a rotation of value um, is, is still, you know, a bit further away in the cycle. And I think one area that in the coming at least days, if not weeks, um, that will see significant uh, upward movement is again, mega, big cap mega tech, which despite being, you know, the real uh, driver of the rally at the, the end of the summer with most of the market really having achieved um, the most breadth and high back in June, um, that, that rally knew all time highs in August was really led exclusively by um, the NASDAQ uh, mega cap tech stocks. Well, they've basically uh, been taking a breather since then, since that sell off in early September. Uh, and I think now those stocks, which sort of have stood out as, as being the ones that, you know, are, are very overpriced and expensive, you know, even though they are um, much more established businesses proven to be profitable and successful. Um, but at what price? Uh, again, those represent a great value considering, you know, the level of, of frothiness that we're seeing with things like SPACs, 
uh, some of the recent IPOs, companies that have not proven to be the least bit successful. Um, and looking forward to sort of trashing them a bit later. Yeah, well, let's actually trash them now. We don't we don't have to trash because, to be honest, I think DoorDash and Airbnb are not terrible businesses. They're they're not businesses I want to own at this price or perhaps ever. Um, but I did want to double click on that because I, I think to me this represents kind of this selective bubble I was talking about earlier where I don't know if there's a market, uh, there's a bubble across the market, but there's so much focus on these IPOs and you see these things trade up a hundred percent from what the offering price was. Airbnb being an example where it, you know, traded two X what it was supposed to be priced at this company trading at 20 X sales is really strange to me. I mean, it's not really a tr- like a traditional SaaS company, right? It's a booking travel company that has lower gross profit margins than what you'd see in the SaaS sector. Um, 20x sales is insane, you know, based on the closing price Friday. Another one was DoorDash that ran up huge. I mean, I don't know if you saw C3 AI, that was another IPO recently, ticker symbol AI, but that company traded to an insane valuation way above, um, I mean, it might have been 30 times sales. But this is all to say, like, I don't understand why IPOs are getting so much attention. And to an extent, they always get a ton of attention. But you think about like what an IPO is, right? Like it's a liquidity event for owners of shares in the company. I mean, it's, it's so they can raise capital, right? So like you sell shares to raise more money for the company. So it's a selling event. For this reason, you often hear the advice given, like you don't want to buy IPOs until two quarters after them, right? You want to give them a chance, management, a chance to report as a public company, see how they do. Also, you don't want to have to deal with the insider selling that's likely to happen um, after the lockup period. So I'm I'm very confused. I mean, the the kind of even more strange news was um, Roblox uh, decided to delay its IPO that was supposed to happen this week after a firm said it was delaying its IPO due to uncertainty around market pricing. Presumably, this is just a kind of shot across the bow to the bank saying, hey, you guys can't price an IPO correctly. Like, it's obvious that your offering price is far too low and we're leaving a ton of money on the table. So... I don't know. Maybe IPOs are just the shiniest object, but I have no idea why they're getting bid up the way they are. I don't know if you had thoughts on that, but I thought that kind of the announcements from um, from Roblox and Affirm and the IPOs this week really confused me. I, I did not know what to make of it. Yeah, and I, I think you know the answer to that question as far as you know why they're getting bid up to such an extreme level, and you know that's just the the psychology of of this high level of speculation that, that we have going on here. And so nobody that is buying the IPO intends to be invested in this company. And it's a game of hot potato, just hoping that you can, or expecting rather that you're going to find someone dumber than you who's going to pay a higher price uh, for that overpriced, volatile um, bag of, of dog crap. And there's, there's the only reason, in fact, that a lot of these IPOs are happening, especially with Airbnb and Dashes, so that you know, the VCs and the, the early stage backers can have an exit here. So there's not really anything to be uh, bullish about in, in the immediate term and, you know, why someone would be diving in. It, it defies logic. But um, as sort of another little indicator or uh, data point as far as what market we're in, and as much as you might shake your head at it, you know, not that I'm buying any of these IPOs. In fact, I look forward to when uh, put options start trading on both of these. I think that's a great trade. Um, but this is the nature of the market wherein people see how how frothy it is. And so if there's a trade to be made there, someone is going to be buying and someone's also going to be selling. But um, just to put things in perspective, and this is what really kind of blew my mind or 
you know, was lighting up my tape as far as these IPOs. So, you know, at one point on Thursday, Airbnb had a market cap over a hundred billion, while Dash had a market cap over sixty billion. So, for perspective, that means that. Airbnb's market cap was greater than the combined market cap of their biggest competitors, which would be Marriott, Hilton, and Hyatt. Well, you know, to compare uh, against DoorDash's $60 billion market cap, uh, Restaurant Brands, which is Burger King Popeye's parent company, uh, is valued at under a third of that, $18.6 billion. So to think that two companies that have never once been profitable and are not new have already received billions of dollars of funding uh, and exist in what are otherwise pretty crowded uh, industries or with, with a lot of competition, you know, there's absolutely no reason, nothing that would indicate that this is a good investment. But the fact that there is a trade there means that there will be buyers and they will get bid up. So um, I think this is just a great point or at least another uh, endorsement for that this is a bubble and as much as you know, it flies in the face of, of actual logic, this is an emotional and very psychological type of environment. So we are looking at, you know, what is the brand recognition of, of a stock or how new and how hot is it? You know, and really the, the, the going rate is really just based on how new something is rather than, you know, the actual merits of the business. So seeing that, uh, you know, Weed Maps, for example, a company that uh, their business model is basically showing locations of different dispensaries uh, is looking at coming to market through a, a SPAC. I wouldn't be surprised if Weed Maps is worth more than the aggregated value of all the different weed stocks that had been uh, all pumped up a while ago. So, you know, we'll probably be looking forward to a, a bunch of major mergers and acquisitions with some of these ridiculous valuations. But um, I think we can all agree it just doesn't end well. You know, there's, there's nothing to substantiate these prices, um, nothing to say that they won't go higher, but there's definitely an, an end game or a point where we'll all look back and just know how sort of ridiculous that is. And just a couple other things to point out how you know, frothy, again, to use that word, this market has gotten, uh, Tesla completed another uh, $5 billion secondary offering, um, announcing that they had basically sold off that line on Wednesday with the stock settling on Friday and still managed to close up on the week. Um, you, you know, obviously got a shameless upgrade from Golden Sachs going into that, uh, just boost the price so that you can sell into to that rally. Uh, and there doesn't seem to be any concern whatsoever that massive dilution, which, you know, this is not the first nor only secondary uh, this year from from Tesla. And that has not stopped the stock one bit. Uh, mind you, one that is is, you know, not going to show any earnings once they no longer have uh, those regulatory credits from other automakers. So it can't be justified. And, you know, I'm not looking to invest here, but if the chart shows that, you know, we, we are continuing to have volume or an opportunity there to do anything other than short these ridiculous overpriced plays, not that I'm piling in, but, you know, as much as it doesn't make sense, I'm, I'm not trying to argue with human stupidity reversing itself. Yeah, my, it might surprise some listeners of the podcast to know I actually was a Tesla bull uh, throughout 16 and 17 and a little bit of 18 before selling my shares during the whole well-known 420 take private scandal. Um, but I mentioned that to say like throughout the time I owned the stock, Tesla would dilute the equity all the time. You know, they, uh, secondary offerings were very common for them. They also issued converts a couple of years ago, uh, which obviously it went way, way past the convert price. So that will also dilute the equity. But I mean, no one needs to be told this, but I think it is worth restating. Like when you issue shares, you know, in the assuming the value of the company stays the same, everybody is worse off. 
because now you have cut the pie into more pieces and each piece is worth less. So you want your company to be buying back shares and not the opposite. I mean, the only way you can justify is if you claim, you know, your expected return on equity as a shareholder is like, you know, whatever, 15% and Tesla believes by making the next Model 3, it can return, you know, 30% on capital. If you believe as a company, you can return more than what the cost of the equity is, it's worth doing. But at that time, you're, ta- you know, you're talking about phenomenal, phenomenal products with phenomenal returns. Tesla still has not shown that it can be that high margin, uh, maybe relative to other automakers, but you know, not, nothing so high margin as to justify what I think holders of the stock are expecting. So a push eventually has to come to shove for Tesla, but clearly like they wouldn't be selling stock unless they thought the currency was rich. Uh, you know, I, I think it's smart as a company they're doing that. But clearly, you know, we already have heard Elon Musk himself say the stock is too high. That was probably two or three turns ago. Uh, continue the management continues to believe the thing is totally overvalued. So I'll be interested to see you trading it. I have no intention to hold it as a buy and hold investor. Yeah, that it would be absolutely insane to buy at these prices. But you know, will will I be looking to you know potentially open? up some type of you know, call debit spread or something on the next dip uh that is that is highly highly likely there and you know one piece of news too that we mentioned off the top or that we didn't mention off the top that's uh it comes as no surprise to anybody but you know we'll just be even more um fuel for this fire here is that on friday the fda announced that they granted emergency authorization for the pfizer vaccine which uh oddly enough you know comes after the white house chief of staff told the fda chief vaccine or chief that the vaccine must be authorized by friday or he needs to resign so a literal gun to this guy's head and sure enough what everyone thought would happen uh, happened so you know we're, we're recording this on about 5 p.m sunday when futures open i wouldn't be surprised to see them gap up significantly just because we've seen the market really shrug off a lot of uh, pretty, pretty devastating economic news and really rally on the same news over and over again. And just sort of to recap, you know, we're still deadlocked on a stimulus here uh, with the government close to shutting down. Um, and the, the stimulus that they're deadlocked on is, you know, about the difference between the original deals that they couldn't agree on earlier this year. So it continues to shrink, doesn't look like it's any closer to getting done, uh, despite um, dovish messaging. Um, you know, particularly from Pelosi and her camp. Uh, and the follow-up on our, our sort of amazement on the previous podcast about the, the awful uh, non-farm pay, payroll uh, number from last week, we saw w- new weekly jobless claims jump higher with a pretty impressive beat of 853K versus 725K expected. So the recovery narrative is, is basically falling apart. Unemployment is going up. Obviously, the GDP is in a concerning uh, position, um, not, not looking for any rebound there. Um, but none of that seems to matter. You know, toss in also the likelihood of a no-deal Brexit. Um, all that the market really cares about is this vaccine getting out there. And that narrative, that story hasn't, hasn't really disappeared. So it does sort of frighten me to, to think that, you know, this, this type of frenzy continues going on, you know. And assuming I'm on the right side of, of the trade there, I'm, I'm happy for it to continue. Um, but, you know, as, as much as this doesn't make any, any sort of fundamental sense, um, I can't point to, to any, any legitimate bearish case near term other than prices just too high. So I'll, I'll preface this next statement by saying I don't expect the market to trade in any way we can make logical sense of as it pertains to COVID news. I gave up on that a long time ago. 
But I actually think that this vaccine news, well widely uh, expected, does open up some potential positive news flow for COVID. And, and to, you know, listeners may go, uh, that's obvious, right? The vaccine was approved. Uh, everybody expected that. Like, what are you saying? So here's what I'm saying. Right now, we're at about 210,000 cases per day for the seven-day moving average for the United States. That, that's not good by any measure. Um, that's basic, that is an all-time high um, for our country. If you look at other countries, and I, I got into the rabbit hole of clicking at and looking at graphs today, European Union, so a collection of countries, um, France specifically, are, are way off the peaks they recorded in September. France is an interesting case study because they were at about 50,000 cases, seven-day moving average in September, um, and actually into November as well. In a single month, they took off 40,000 cases per day. So even without a vaccine, it's really interesting to me that you can cut down the, the case total um, by such a huge number. And they also didn't go into like a complete draconian lockdown either. So I think the jury's still out on like, what exactly is happening with per day cases. Um, but that does seem to be the number politicians in the market pay attention to. So I think the bull case, and I'm not saying bullish for the market, but bullish for positive news flow for COVID is that you see the vaccine get introduced. Maybe they get, you know, 12 and a half million people vaccinated in the month of December. Of course it's 25 million doses. So you divide by two. Um, the, what I've heard is you can get up to hundred or 200 million uh, total vaccinations in, in three to five months. Assuming the vaccinations are effective, which, you know, which seems to be the case based on the medical research, I would expect that the, um, the case rates should decline by at least 50,000 per month. If you just do a straight 50,000 linear down, you know, you're looking at close to zero um, by the summer. And, and you know, take Elon Musk's whatever he says with a grain of salt, but he thinks there are going to be too many vaccines and that herd immunity will, will be reached prior to you know, vaccines coming. There's also the fact that people think you know, the actual number of cases is whatever, five to 10x what's being reported. That's the bull case. The bear case is the vaccine comes out and we don't see cases go down, which I think is a possibility and you have to think about. Um, but this is all to say, you know, I heard that news and I think at least what was priced in happened, right? You, you definitely could have seen a case where at the last second, um, the FDA shut it down. Um, I mean, I, I think this, this is a great first step. The Moderna vaccine is probably uh, second in line. If we close this month with 12 and a half million people vaccinated, I'm going to be fascinated to see what happens to infections and hospitalizations. Because if you see those numbers decline as vaccines go up, um, I think it's going to be very difficult for the bears to continue to point to COVID news as a reason for the market to go down. You know, for me, my most bearish concern is exactly what we've talked about, that IPOs are pricing at absurd revenue multiples. The market feels totally overbought. Um, I think you could, take the mar you could take every macro thing out of it and valuation would still surprise me. But I guess what I'm saying is I'm, not, I'm actually feeling pretty good about the future of, um, of the pandemic right now. I think next year we could be back to normal. And I 100% agree there um, from the standpoint of this is definitely coming to an end. Um, and I'll do some air quotes there, an end, because I don't think there is just one day where, you know, there's a, a press release COVID over everyone just, you know, go back to what you're doing. Uh, but with a vaccine out there that is definitely going to be injected into a, a lot of people in the future. You know, Fauci himself saying that in only a matter of time, this pandemic will be over. Um, we're, we're looking at a post-COVID sort of reality now. Does that mean all of the sort of byproducts and um, 
other other symptoms of this COVID situation go away. Not not quite. So for me, I don't think that the COVID numbers have mattered for a while. Um, in fact, I think you need to worry more about the the fairy dust wearing off and you know the the excitement about what could be um, post COVID being sort of the reality of it's well really sort of the same thing. We just don't have you know, as much uh, impetus behind a large stimulus package, um, unemployment still the way it is. And, you know, the dollar is still continuing to, uh, to, to lose value, be devalued there. So what, what really would stand out to me is with things coming to an end, you know, a potentially massive sell the news event where even once, you know, there is vaccine distribution, uh, once people do have vaccines, uh, first of all, cases won't be going away. But this isn't just, you know, once there are no cases, this ends, you know, if that was the case, it would probably go on uh, infinitely. Um, these coronaviruses tend to, to mutate and stay around. Um, so I think we're just hoping to, to find a way to successfully manage it. It doesn't just disappear. Uh, and then how do you sort of restore a lot of the, the behaviors from people before? Now, there's, there's no doubt there's going to be a significant amount of pent up demand. And that's sort of already been shown. Um, with you know people's desire to go out to to restaurants do other activities um and you know you can definitely see them different places like gyms uh rock climbing gyms like uh you know where we were getting to climb in yesterday uh pretty packed so there, there is a desire but the question is will supply be able to keep up with that demand especially with all of the um fiscal and monetary stimulus really um Keeping keeping a lot of people afloat um, in in sort of times that are very obviously um, economically unwell by the statistics, uh, but there's no doubt that there's a, a rosy outlook um, from sort of a a pandemic sense. But when we're sort of forced to then reevaluate the market fundamentals, once there's no longer sort of that asterisk on on 2020 and um, you know earnings, once once you actually need to start giving some guidance on your earnings calls and don't really have you know, this, this uh, sort of shared experience to lean on, um, I think that we will ha have a slightly different perspective on um, a lot of these different businesses. And to go back to Airbnb and, and DoorDash, I mean, if DoorDash couldn't be profitable during COVID where, you know, you, you are quite literally not allowed to do anything but have delivery, I, I don't know how they, you know, can build a, a story to profitability at any other point in time in, in the future. And so there, there will come a point in time where I think the growth story or, you know, the, the future looking uh, nature of, of, you know, the, the, the stock prices and how the market works um, will have a, a slightly harsher uh, look to it, not as much sort of Vaseline on the lens. hundred percent. I mean, we talked about this last pod, but like a lot of companies are going to have a very difficult comparison for 2020 versus 2021. And DoorDash may actually see revenue declines next year. And in fact, I actually think that's pretty likely. All right. I, I think we're good on news. You have a ton of names on your watch list. I know you want to review. So let's talk about what you're looking at on the week ahead. Last thing to just throw out in the news here. And again, let me restate that, you know, looking ahead, I'm as bullish as you could possibly be right now. Get as long as you can on Monday. Get as long as you can. Big cap tech. And also reminder, this is not financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor. Just a guy talking into a microphone. Um, but I do see a couple of potential uh, catalysts that, that could be catastrophic to, to the market. And so uh, a piece of news that dovetails into that from last week, um, FireEye, a name that we have talked about on the show in the past, a cybersecurity company, uh, said on Tuesday they'd been hacked by highly sophisticated actors 
likely sponsored by a nation state and uh, reports took no time uh, getting to blaming that on Russia. A surprise there. Um, where red team hacking tools are taken. So these are basically uh, different tools that FireEye teams would use uh, to play the role of a hacker to sort of test and demonstrate um, the security of uh, different enterprises' um, uh, networks and, and data systems. So uh, the hacking group that took these, uh, they sort of speculate, uh, are most likely taking these tools to use them in a, a different, bigger attack on their true primary target since they can sort of mask their identity uh, and cover their tracks a lot better using FireEye tools instead of their own. So, you know, this might just be another piece of hacking news that comes along every couple of weeks, you know, definitely a blemish on FireEye, something that caused the stock to uh, sell off midweek. But uh, this stands out to me because one thing that I do think could present a lot of instability to this market with supply being sort of a concern moving forward with demand certainly being strong coming out of this uh, is the potential for sort of an escalation of some some type of, of war. And I think uh, a lot of people don't really appreciate the nature of sort of this information cold war that's going on uh, with different nation state groups uh, of which, you know, the United States and, uh, you know, China, to, to name a few, Russia obviously have um, these different sophisticated teams sort of engaging in uh, national security type uh, activities there instead of just sort of doing ransomware uh, little little hacks which you know is more of a criminal enterprise um, but one thing that I think is is sort of underappreciated that sort of looms out in the horizon is just rising China tensions and I think Taiwan potentially uh, represents that powder keg there uh, and look no further than one of the stocks on my watch list for the week ahead uh, TSM Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing um, with so much of the the chips um, that are used in a lot of electronics for those NASDAQ companies like Apple's chips, AMD's chips, coming from uh, TSM, uh, any type of tension uh, or escalation of um, sort of military positioning and saber rattling in that area would present a significant challenge to some of those supply chains, disrupting a number of different businesses that are dependent on those products. Uh, so with both sides, Republican and Democrat, sort of uh, increasing the, the rhetoric, uh, the anti-China rhetoric, uh, moving forward, that that definitely stands out as as something to to potentially watch um, coming up in 2021 um, as something to escalate. Now, is that something you can act on now? Is something to trade on? I don't think so. But as far as something that would have a material impact in a way that the pandemic uh, and a lot of the really underwhelming economic numbers here domestically haven't, um, I, I, I think that would be a a catalyst there to to definitely at least have on the radar. So, you know, that said, looking forward to to getting in the watch list. Unless you got a, a couple of comments there. Yeah, a few. I, I mean, really just one. So my first order of thinking reaction to that is it sounds like we are ramping up uh, for more cyber attacks in the future, which I suppose people have been saying for some time now. Um, and this attack on FireEye definitely, I'm sure, heightens a lot of concern among companies who could find themselves a target. Wouldn't you say this is bullish for kind of the, the cloud flares of the world? Cloudflare just actually had an Internet Security Week, which is, is kind of good timing for them. Um, CrowdStrike, and I would also throw Okta in there um, because, I mean, if you're using Okta products correctly, you can kind of definitely mitigate some of the risk of social engineering or engineering uh, through kind of login password issues. So um, I feel like those three could definitely benefit from this. I 100% agree. And very, very long 
uh, all three of those names, maybe maybe not as much Okta, but definitely CrowdStrike and, and NetFlare, two that have run up uh, significantly lately. And, you know, I see no reason to think that uh, they, they won't continue that upward march. And I guess the uh, potential downside there is if you're a cybersecurity company, you get hacked, that's definitely pretty bad luck. So, you know, if these guys are holding on to uh, the goods that somebody wants and, you know, aren't closely protecting that, uh, that honeypot, then, um, you know, there, there is some, some risk there in, in the future. But um, I got to tell the story as a, as a random thought because it's top of mind. Do you remember when uh, the LifeLock CEO went on TV and like said his social security number publicly? And then the guy got it, his identity stolen, not but like one day afterwards, just like proving LifeLock's product doesn't work. So moral of the story is if you're a cybersecurity company, don't make yourself a target. You probably already are a target. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he had his social security number on, on a commercial where he's basically begging someone to try and steal his identity, which all of a sudden he wakes up the next morning with a bunch of credit cards and, and auto loans. So surprise there. I guess you, you challenge uh, criminals to, to come after you and, and invite them to do it. They, they most certainly are. So um, definitely not, not quite the marketing blitz they wanted there. But yeah, just to tie up the thought, I think that one, one thing to point out, you know, with markets being the way they are, uh, there's clearly a lot of government intervention and, you know, you could say manipulation. Um, keeping prices high is definitely in a matter of national security with this sort of Cold War. So I wouldn't be surprised if there is some type of potentially damaging financial disclosure or data dump, you know, that would seriously undo, you know, some of these uh, market all-stars, you know, look no further than Tesla, which has plenty of uh, Chinese competitors, you know, potentially facing a pretty embarrassing or damaging data dump. Um, and with, you know, accounting on a number of these companies being um, a source of, of consternation, both for the SEC and investors, you know, that does seem like a way to really inflict some pain if that is, is your goal on an international level without, you know, having to uh, deploy any troops or, or fire any bullets. Makes sense. Uh, anything else you want to talk about in your watch list or should we review our various bets? No, that was, that was kind of heavy. I only want to talk about fun things that are going to go up next week and, uh, you know. Gotcha. Speaking of fun things that may go up next, QQQ, the triple Q uh, continues to perform quite well for you. Since May 1st, you are up 42%. I'm lagging behind uh, on Berkshire. I'm only up 24%, which by the way is an excellent return. Warren Buffett um, continues to uh, just run an incredible operation. So no complaints there as a shareholder. But I, I think uh, considering the year is about to end, I, maybe have, I guess I have five months to catch you. So it's not over, but uh, I got a 20% gap to fill. Yeah, and uh, I've talked a lot of uh, junk about the the cues here and, and how, you know, with the run-up they've been on, it seems like a great opportunity for short. Nothing like price to change sentiment. But the fact that, you know, it hasn't really uh, shown any any weakness but also hasn't been nearly as extended as um, small caps or the, the greater uh, S&P 500 means that I think this is definitely the time to look for a breakout with a lot of the, the stocks uh, making up the Fangman group having pretty much the same chart. And a lot of that's due to being having uh, heavy exposure in these large indexes and different funds. So they are pretty much going to trade pretty similarly to those indexes. But uh, Apple and Microsoft are two that have been pretty much consolidating in uh, a, the same range more or less since late August. 
uh, in Facebook, um, despite uh, the news that they're being sued by the FTC last week. Really, to me, this really just represents a buying opportunity as every other time a piece of news like this has come out uh, as far as different investigations uh, and other lawsuits. So uh, with Facebook closing around 273 on Friday, I wouldn't be surprised if it's trading over 300 before the end of the year. Um, so I feel like Facebook almost trades like a, a leveraged version of, of Apple or, or of the Qs. When uh, the NASDAQ's down, Facebook's down big. When it's up, you know, it's good for a, a nice 10 or 12 handle day just, just yeah. out of four despite the news. Um, so considering just how mellow they've been the last couple of months and really basing at those very, very high levels, you know, not too far off from where they were in August, but most of them sitting below all-time highs, uh, they definitely represent a really attractive uh, – trade for for the the weeks ahead um so aside from sort of apple microsoft and facebook i'm still really bullish on the chip stocks uh like amd for example and nvidia but um really looking to tsm taiwan semiconductor um with a break over 105 dollars and a new all-time high to really be moving up you know them and amd sort of uh tied here in in terms of capturing more market share in that chip space um, so chips already running hot, but like I pointed out, there's nothing to indicate that the, the market paradigm is shifting. So um, these these two names ha had done a little bit of consolidation last week and, you know, look to, to make a move higher. And similarly, in sort of that NASDAQ space, the, the payment processing uh, big boys of PayPal and Square, um, no, it won't exactly be the take of the year that these, you know, are bullish and uh, a good buy, but they more or less seem to be taking turns right now, making their, their move up. And, you know, when Bitcoin is strong and now that they've sort of hitched their wagons in some way uh, to, to Bitcoin, announcing that um, users of the platforms can to some degree transact in Bitcoin um, with a move up coming in, in Bitcoin, it looks like uh, I really like PayPal, especially uh, to make a move higher, new all-time high, and sort of continue its climb, uh, which Square is likely to, to continue that move as well. But uh, with a strong finish of the week last week, I wouldn't be surprised to see see Square consolidating. So I know you're a big fan of the, the payment processing space. Curious. Yeah. I'll, I'll actually do an early plug of a stock I plan to write about for Stock Talking, hopefully this week. I think it's going to be a longer post. Um, but Fiserv, S&P 500 stock, about, I think, a $70 billion-ish market cap. They just gave uh, their investor presentation. I forget what conference it was, but I was looking at some of the slides. Um, they're a big component in ETF I hold. But Fiserv, I mean, in many categories, is the number one um, payment processor across a, a number of forms of payment, um, Zelle being one of them. So Zelle, which I'm sure some people who have done banking transactions have heard of, is actually growing faster than them, though. Uh, kind of interesting. So... Fiserv is going to do, according to their estimates, about $4 billion plus in free cash flow um, in 2022, $74 billion market cap. You know, it's about 6% free cash flow yield valued way more fairly than uh, PayPal or Square. But if they got even close to the valuation of either, um, the stock has a lot of upside from here. But look out for uh, a post on that stock talking that, that caught my eye and I've been doing a little research. Um, other two bets we have. CrowdStrike seems to be immune uh, from what happened to FireEye. They're up 82% on the year. Uh, they actually had a really nice uh, third quarter print. I haven't read the call yet, but um, they did beat, I think, on bottom and, and uh, top line. So uh, CrowdStrike up 82%. Uh, MGM, who I have on the other side of this bet, is up 39%. Still a really nice run. Uh, but again, you're, I need to double my return to come close to you. Um, final bet, the Battle Lane Footwear. Uh, Crocs up 53%. Skechers up 19%. So one I am winning in.
Um, any, any thoughts on our battles or should we move on to wall stars? Yeah. Uh, so just to type the watch list there, um, you know, I'm glad you brought up CrowdStrike, a uh, friend of the podcast, one, one that we've definitely uh, brought up a number of times. So kudos to you, CrowdStrike, for, for a strong move. Um, closing the week at just below 175 here, but was trading over 180 on uh, Thursday. So um, some of the names in the, the cybersecurity as well as cloud SaaS space that we've talked about a number of times, like Cloudflare, um, have just been on an absolute tear. And, you know, I don't see anything really checking that move. So uh, as far as other trades that I'm looking for or different setups, uh, seeing sort of how this area is, is getting white hot again, look no further than Fastly, uh, making up a lot of what it had lost after that bite dance news. Um, you know, reclaiming uh, the, the $100 handle there and really erasing, you know, what had been a tremendous sell-off. Uh, I'm looking for stocks in the space that have shown that ability um, to make some serious jumps, um, you know, may, may be relatively expensive, but have been consolidating in, in, you know, what you might call a bull flag. So making a large upward move and then sort of chopping around uh, in a limited range well above previous all-time highs. Uh, so a couple of names that stand out as ones um, that have sort of been consolidating and are sitting below all-time highs um, would be Datadog there. And, you know, that's one um, that I think could potentially be, and this is very speculative here, just uh, mentioned in um, acquisition rumors or buyout rumors. Um, and we saw with Dropbox making basically a 10% move after close on Friday on just uh, acquisition rumors um, that that can be a particularly strong uh, catalyst for, for a breakout in this current market environment. Uh, and DocuSign, another uh, big stay-at-home name um, that took a bit of a beating this week after a downgrade from JP Morgan, um, which Cloudflare also took a downgrade from, from JP Morgan, was trading at the same level two days later. So DocuSign, uh, sitting at about 225 here, um, well, well below its all-time high at 290. Uh, once a move gets going with, with a name like DocuSign here, and again, off of strong earnings and well below where it was following those earnings, uh, about $20 higher, um, I definitely think there's, there's a lot of room there. And to point out again, ARC funds have been buying a lot of uh, a docu. So a big fan of Kathy Wood and the, the ARC funds um, and definitely good follow. Uh, I forget which Twitter handle that is, but uh, the one that just posts the, the ARC fund uh, buys and sells. I think, I think it's Kathy's ARC. It's a, it's a good pun on that. Um, I did want to follow up on the kind of takeover target thread because as you said, Dropbox was up big after hours on apparently no news other than uh, some analyst research or, or maybe it was a blog, uh, pegged them as a takeover target. So Dropbox, I own a little bit. It's been pitched by a lot of value investors, but has a has done pretty well in the monthly active user account for a number of years since it went public. Um, Drew Houston, I think, has been a really good CEO. Um, actually wanted to buy Slack at a billion dollars and the board rejected it. So if they had just listened to their CEO, they'd potentially be in an even better position. They've picked up some universities in, in terms of kind of more, uh, I mean, you could consider it an enterprise deal, but um, they're, they've done well in terms of getting universities to switch to their product for storage management. Um, overall, like, I mean, this is a company that'll probably do a billion dollars in free cash flow and be, you know, kind of mid single digits free cash flow yield. So Unlike Slack, which is not cash flow producing, it, I think it would be accretive to a lot of acquirers. So I think that's the rationale behind why um, Dropbox could be taken out. 
in terms of the, some of the other targets, like, you know, let's take Datadog, for example. Um, call me an idiot. Like, this is me. I've actually seen their pitch. I've used them at previous companies. Like, I don't think they have much of a competitive moat. I don't really feel as bullish on the product as some other people do. Um, and I think it's also kind of very much overpriced. So over, and it trades at an absurd multiple relative to Dropbox. So I, I can't see it on Dropbox. Um, I mean, I think I could say that for like a lot of kind of the other SaaS names. Um, but all that said, like, I just found it super interesting this week that people are going, oh, you know, um, Slack got acquired, you know, maybe we're going to see more kind of Salesforce like acquirers in the market. Like, if you're a big tech company, why would you even think about acquiring someone given where multiples are in the market? Like wait till there's a crash. I mean, every, every fang company and most of the, the big um, mega cap tech names and even like mid cap, the average tech company has no debt and has a ton of cash. So it's like you can afford to just wait until things are bad and then make a very selective acquisition. Um, I don't think like an Apple, for instance, is out there right now going, let's take a, let's take a look at Datadog or even let's take a look at Dropbox. Like, just bide your time. I mean, this is why Tim Cook has been such a great CEO. He doesn't reach on acquisitions. He makes lots of small acquisitions, and when he does it, he does it very selectively. So I don't expect Apple or other companies to be deploying their cash files. I'm fading the idea that like we're going to see a bunch of consolidation in the next couple of months. So I, I'm absolutely selling you know, an acquisition happening, but I'm buying that rumor, or at least trying to front run that rumor getting bought. So uh, again, this is based on, again, the market psychology and the environment we're, we're in here versus sort of you know, well thought out due diligence on the company itself. So that, that is the nature of trading. And you know, in a similar vein, you know, with the insanity we've seen around IPOs, um, and not just, you know, IPOs that came out in the last week, but um, some pretty uh, insane rallies in uh, names that I IPO'd earlier this summer, uh, in particular Palantir and Snow, uh, really going off the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, I see the, the focus shifting to, okay, what are some other names here that have IPO'd recently that haven't gone off? Uh, and one that's definitely achieved meme status in the past would be uh, Rocket Mortgage, ticker RKT. And that's really been sort of consolidating around uh, this $20 level, uh, has had a, a number of failed breakouts in the last couple of weeks. But uh, after IPOing earlier this summer and running up quickly over the, the $30 handle, um, you know, there's definitely a, a lot of upside there if we do see uh, retail piling in. And I think there's at least a slightly uh, more bullish story to, to be had there with uh, real estate being one of the, the few bright spots in the, the current economic climate. So being in sort of the, the mortgage origination business there, uh, you know, I don't know how sustainable that is or if they continue to, to have such, uh, you know, blowout numbers. But um, there, there hasn't really been that, that same enthusiasm one would expect for both this being a recent IPO and, uh, and you know, what could otherwise be uh, considered one of the, the hotter uh, industries out here. So I wouldn't be, su be surprised if Rocket over, you know, $22 or so uh, makes a quick move up to, to 30, pretty, pretty similar to what we saw with, with Palantir. So again, that, that one is really nothing more than a, a galaxy brain play on sort of the, the mush brain plays that, that people are making out here. Um, but with uh, volatility or implied volatility pretty low on RKT, it's, it's not expensive at all to just sort of uh, get yourself a nice long-term, um, slightly out-of-the-money uh, call option there and just sit and wait 
Um, since it does look like the risk reward is pretty good, we're not going much lower from this level, barring any uh, any piece of news. So as much as it pains me to sort of get get into such a meme game there, again, I, I don't want to be missing out on you know where the good trades are just because I think I'm too smart uh, or too good for for that type of business. Yeah, Anecdata, I have a lot of friends looking for homes right now, and they've had no issues getting pre-approved for 30-year mortgages with a two-handle. Uh, sounds a little bit like a previous time period where we saw underwriters just offering very easy terms on mortgages. So not saying we're going to have another mortgage crisis, but I do think Rocket will probably see higher volume of origination this quarter. So uh, it could be a good name to go along. And last, last two uh, little bullets here before we get into the wall stars. So a slightly more highbrow, more intellectual play here. We're seeing uranium breaking out here. Uh, and this is a bit of a contrarian play based on the correlation between uh, uranium and some of the other market indexes here. But the basic thesis is that uranium production uh, has been cut down so significantly that if there were an increase in demand, uh, the ability for production to meet it would be lagging years behind, um, probably somewhat similar to the uh, oil uh, and energy play there um, that, that we've talked about in the past. So a couple tickers, U, 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 R, N, M, and Kamiko, CCJ, uh, which is a uranium miner. All of these um, have been surging last week. And Kamiko, interestingly enough, having the highest volume days since the Fukushima disaster in 2011. Um, and fortunately, this was buying and not selling this time. But uh, this is definitely a space that appears to be breaking out. And considering that, that sort of thesis and the fundamental story there, um, I think this is definitely a good play if you, you know, are, are getting a little bit of trepidation or cold feet about just uh, diving headlong into um, a market that's sort of this frenzied. Uh, and definitely seems like a, a, a much better uh, play to, to be looking to, to buy and st- or buy and hold long term, um, assuming you're not you know, one of the, the long term bag holders of, of uranium who's finally getting paid. And I did want to tie up just with a quick gold in Bitcoin update. So uh, with gold, we have the COMEX expiration coming up on the 18th. Uh, so the time to buy gold for what is traditionally been one of the strongest seasonal times of the year here between um, the end of December and into uh, January would be after that COMEX expiration. And knowing uh, how much manipulation has been documented by JPM and otherwise um, around gold prices, especially going into um, futures contract expiration, um, there's a good bet that despite the strength in gold and what appears to be a breakout, um, the actual rally likely won't get going until uh, after, after that expiration. So I'm looking to buy gold as soon as possible sort of on that dip afterwards for that confirmation of another move upward. And Bitcoin, um, worth noting that it looked like it was potentially breaking down at the end of last week, um, breaking below the 18,000 level and getting almost as low as the 17,500 handle uh, before rallying at the end of the day Friday and has basically been on an upward march since then, uh, currently trading around 19,000. Um, so Bitcoin's been a nice little forward-looking indicator. Uh, it started selling off before we saw selling in the indexes. So if we continue to see rallying into Monday, I definitely do think that does back up the, the thesis for a move higher. But um, with that break of the downtrend on both hourly and daily, I think Bitcoin does look like it is setting up for a move to test those all-time highs in that 20,000 level. Yeah, on the, on the subject of Bitcoin and gold, I'm actually... Uh... 
this was totally an oversight on my end, but I should put in the show notes. One thing we haven't talked about is inflation expectations as you're measuring it through the 10-year treasury and bonds in general are kind of ticking up. I think 10-year treasury has gone from like 50 bips uh, to 1% over the last couple of weeks. So clearly like people see rates going up. I'm not sure if I see that. Maybe the market's getting ahead of itself. Uh, but I thought that was an interesting little dynamic that kind of unfolded over the last month or so. I mean, without getting into uh, stuff that's beyond my pay grade and uh, intelligence level, I mean, QE is actually inherently inflationary. And really, part of the issue is that not enough of the actual money supply being created is finding its way uh, into actual spending power for consumers or M2 money supply. So while, you know, there's definitely a lot of, you know, quote unquote, money printing going on, we expect to see inflation, or at least that's the goal. But uh, knowing that these dynamics, at least as they've been implemented in places like Japan, which you know anything we would try in the U.S. has already been done and tried there, has basically shown um, to not be able to create the type of inflation that they want. So the the move down continues to, or the move continues to be down for the dollar. But I do think that a lot of the inflation expectations have been overstated, and especially with uh, the, the economy really sort of sputtering right now, um, unless we have basically a, a significant change to um, whatever fiat system we're using or the dollar, um, I don't really see that becoming sort of out of control in, in sort of the near term, you know, until there is additional helicopter money and stimulus checks being sent out actually increasing that M2 money supply. So, you know, the top line inflation is still low. They want to get it higher and they probably won't be able to get there without, you know, continued QE uh, and continued policy. Um, So again, I think that's overstated. That doesn't mean the dollar is not going down anymore, but um, I don't see rates coming up anytime soon. And with the Fed basically saying that they're not even thinking about thinking about thinking about raising rates, uh, it's unlikely to happen 2021 and probably unlikely to happen, you know, even in the next four years or so, uh, since, you know, we can't really just unwind from this, this current, um, policy and in the snap of the fingers here. So, uh, inflation will continue to go up, but that does not mean that the dollar is only going to move in one direction. Yeah. Let me throw you an off the cuff trading idea. Cause even though I agree with you on that, let's just assume the credit markets are correct and inflation goes up next year. And you brought up the point on uranium. I don't think it's just uranium. Like I think, I, I think I was reading on oil, like uh, it recently moved from like backwardation to contango on the forward curve. So like people think future prices are going to be higher. So clearly people are saying we're in a commodity up cycle or about to enter one and that rates are, go- are about to go up. If you believe that to be true, I feel like the play is just to buy industrials for tw- uh, 2021. Utilities, industrials, anything that has hard assets, like that's what you want to own. But uh, j- that's, just, that's just an idea. I mean... I would have to look more into it, but I do think it's interesting that commodities and rates are kind of suggesting 2021 is going to be a blowout year. I guess equity markets are too. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that reopening is definitely positive for real rates, which is sort of uh, negative for different stores of value like gold and potentially Bitcoin, which, you know, there's a lot of different other factors uh, involved in Bitcoin and its current current pricing. Uh, So, you know, that that narrative around reopening definitely makes sense. But I think we may have seen a lot of that priced in with that uh, Pfizer announcement of, you know, the positive testing of the, the vaccine. Um, back in November. So I guess the question is, you know, was that sort of a preview there or is, is the market sort of anticipating 
um, a situation that may not actually come to pass based on what we know about sort of the, the end result or the actual sort of um, uh, product created by these different fiscal and monetary programs. Oh, yeah, there's definitely a contrarian trade there, too. All right. Um, should we move to our closing Wall Stars discussion? Let us do it. Let's do it. All right. So the week that was, once again, it was a, a blowout victory for you. So you were up uh, totally, on, in total, 7%. I was down uh, about 3%. Your big wins, you, you pretty much called everything correctly, except for a long uh, TSM where you were down 2%. But long VXX, short triple Q, long ATVI. Short SPY, long net, um, all about anywhere from like one per one to four percent gains. It's a nice victory. Um, even though my Moderna short worked out this week, um, did not do well on anything else. I was long Walmart, long gold, long PayPal. People may remember from the podcast last time I, I was I wanted to be long the market and Walmart and PayPal specifically because I thought the holiday season was going to uh, result in a nice uptick. Not the case. So down three percent. Nice victory. All right, the upcoming week. What's your lineup look like? Well, first of all, you know, just take a minute to. Uh, I'm not sure where the overall leaderboard is here, but you know, I don't think I've ever won. I think I've won one week, and you've maybe won like six of the weeks we've done it. All right, so at, with my six to one resounding lead here in our, our weekly sort of daily fantasy sports games for stock picking, uh, considering that you know my my hedges and my longs played out last week, you know, kudos. Uh, as I mentioned in the show, I'm looking to get quite, quite bullish next week. So uh, the lineup is looking pretty similar to the watch list. I've got AMD long, PayPal long, I'm long SPY, I'm long the Qs, uh, long DraftKings, which I don't think we uh, got a chance to talk about them on the uh, watch list roundup there. And just a quick note, it's been consolidating right around that $50 level. Uh, we've got a very positive catalyst with news that Newark is close to legalizing sports gambling there. Uh, so I do like the upside in the week ahead, but I'm definitely paying for that uh, implied volatility with that being my highest salary pick here. Uh, and then going back to the well, I hadn't planned to do it, but just to make the salaries work, uh, a friend of the podcast, CrowdStrike, um, you know, has paid me well in the past and closing sort of at a, a low tick at the end of the week. I do like uh, that entry there since we do score this from basically the Friday close, the close of the following Friday. So one that's run up a whole bunch, but definitely has another 10% in it for sure, especially with these conditions. Definitely. I will say for anyone who made it to, you know, probably out hour one minute one of this podcast, which probably was no one uh, look forward to, I think Thursday, I'm going to have Chris Seifel on who is a great follow on Twitter, but he was one of the early CrowdStrike bulls. Um, definitely check out his sub stack, but he has an incredible kind of like 20 page bull thesis. So really excited to talk to him about CrowdStrike. All right. My lineup here. Um, listeners are going to hate me because I did a lot of the things I said I didn't agree with uh, during the earlier part of the show. I am buying into the, we're going to see a bump for a lot of SaaS because of the uh, Slack acquisition. So I am long Atlassian and long Dropbox. Um, both of those were kind of higher volatility. So I used a good portion of my salary there. Um, went long Disney on the announcement from Friday. Uh, I think that's kind of worth maybe talking about briefly. Uh, Disney basically just dumped a ton of content on the market. Uh, they have like four Star Wars short shows coming out. They got like a Cars show. I, I mean, basically, they're all in on Disney+. Plus. Kind of interesting. I mean, new, new CEO, Bob Shapek. Um, Dan Loeb came in as an activist investor and said, like, stop paying a dividend, put it all on Disney+. Plus. Clearly, they are going all in on Disney+. Plus. 
ended up increasing the guidance on number of subscribers from like 70 million ish to like 230. So, I mean, kind of huge news on Disney stock was up, whatever, 8% on Friday. Like I could see that re-rating and running for quite a long time. Um, so went long Disney, long the market, long gold actually went short volatility. Um, I think we continue to see a blow off top and volatility get crushed. So I'm feeling pretty good about my lineup this week. Um, we'll see how it plays out, but maybe it can be six to two when all is said and done. So you're, you're feeling good about going long about a Disney that just had a, a 14% day on Friday, a scorching hot RSI here uh, in the neighborhood of 84. I think that there's tons of upside for you to find next week after that huge move has already been made. So, well, um, let me make a dumb point and value investors will hate me. Relative to Netflix, uh, Disney has a lot of room to run in terms of valuation. So if it just gets the multiple, if it gets that nice Netflix multiple, I think it could be a double from here. Uh, side note, I don't own Disney. I own an ETF that owns it. But if you can get over the valuation, I, I think it's worth a look. Not, not that I'm not buying the bull story here, but just looking at the chart and uh, using my gambler's instinct, I would love to take a bet that uh, I bet Disney actually closes below that 175 handle next week just because that's a pretty big move. Sure. Are we, maybe uh, next show we can talk about adding it to our list of bets, but I actually am very bullish on Disney for 2021. I think, and I've, I found this doing the whole National Cinemedia movie theater thesis, the amount of brushback I've got from people on Twitter just being like, you couldn't be more wrong about where like the movie theater industry is going and, and the, uh, the bull case for streaming. It's like, okay, I've, I've been hearing about streaming for years. I, I just think it's, it's a kind of flavor of the next decade. And Disney's strategy is going to take advantage of a lot of investors who want to assign a, a huge multiple uh, to streaming services. So I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Disney was like a double over the next year. And I'll have a lot of fondness for Disney thinking back to the 10-bagger they delivered me the day they announced that parks were closed. So I don't know if I'm uh, trading at this price, but I would love to see a nice short on, on a gap fill from that huge market. Hey, I think the mark of a true trader is you can easily flip your short to a long uh, when the information changes. So I, I would say don't fight Disney. People love the streaming announcement. Well, I'll keep you posted. Follow the Twitter there for some chart updates as far as when the right entry and exit will be on that. That did short, so I'll keep you posted. All right, buddy. As usual, wonderful pod. Any closing words for the listeners? Happy trading. Stack those stacks this week. Happy trading. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.